in terms of a scale, I had to get rid of mine a long time ago. Like that was something that from the get-go, they were like, can't have this. And I was like, but it's at the gym. It's everywhere. Like I Mm -hmm. can have access to it. Um, And it was just like a lot of management on my part of like, that's not something that I can do. Lauren Dow is an eating disorder advocate in Denver, Colorado. And we have a very unique opportunity today, a brand new adventure on the podcast where she has offered up one of her own original songs that she's written and recorded. And we take a break in the middle of the episode so that she can share that with us today. Throughout our conversation, we talk about how Lauren didn't want a label and to be treated as normal. And we go deep into how much transparency is too much when we are pursuing our life's purpose. Here on the podcast, it is our mission to connect our audience with professionals locally, nationally, and even internationally so that you guys have resources to reach out to when our expert guests and real-life daters share a message that resonates with you. If you're looking for somebody local here in Denver or Colorado, please know that the Center for Shared Insight is accepting new patients for teletherapy. So if you have something that's coming up repeatedly in your patterns that you want to work through, please connect with them at the centerforsharedinsight.com to book a complimentary consultation today with either Dr. Kristen Hick or Dr. Brittany Wolford. Without further delay, let's get into today's episode with Lauren Dow. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm joined by Lauren Dow. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. We were just chuckling a little bit before we hit record. And I want to bring people up to speed. You live in Denver, but we've never met in person. We're just doing this Zoom thing for now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I, I heard it was 2018 when you came. What was your first impression of Denver? Oh, gosh. My first impression of Denver. I feel like I didn't really know what I was getting myself into because it's like, Denver's just so many. I mean, I'm from Tampa, so I understand the concept of different neighborhoods, but I was living probably in not the best neighborhoods per se to be living in to experience Denver to its fullest. So Mm. I kind of almost feel like I'm just now getting a chance to experience it like two months ago. Right. Quarantine. Yeah. Now, now you're in Capitol Hill and I'm in Congress Park. That's not too far from each other, but that's a happening neighborhood even during shelter in place. Yeah. There's definitely been a lot going on. I, you know, between everything that's going on with the protests and with quarantine, but that's also, it's not stopping people from going outside. I mean, I've met most of my neighbors now and they're amazing regardless of the quarantine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. Like I'm trying to take the dog around the city park once a day, at least. And um, I've bumped into two former clients walking around the park and we just chit chat and uh, get the chance to feel human again. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's dating been like since you arrived in Denver? Is, is that where you kind of found out it was a like, like a car wash or did you have that mindset before? <laughs> Um, no, I mean, but I guess the whole car wash analogy kind of came to me more recently, but when I, so when I came to Denver, I was actually, um, I had backpacked for about a year prior, um, and I did Europe and South America and then did a lot of the United States, but I was with my partner at the time. And so that didn't end so great. Um, you know, um, and then I took some significant time off and then jumped kind of back into the dating world a little bit. And then that's when I realized, oh, okay, it's definitely like a car wash. 
How so? Um, basically, you know, like you, how I feel about it is that like, and I think this applies to any relationship, even regardless of my particular circumstance. But, you know, you're always kind of putting your, your best self out there first. The, the best version of yourself, the best face and like no flaws. It's nice and shiny and clean and new. And then you start to get to know the person, you drive the car around a little bit and then it starts to get a little bit more dirty. And then mm-hmm. they start to notice, oh, hey, there's a giant dent in the side of your door or hey, there's this. It's like, oh, well, the novelty wore off. So time for a car wash, time mm-hmm. to try again with somebody else. So. <laughs> Would you recommend that people are like, hey, you know what? Here's my dirty back seat from the start. At first, I didn't. I was like, this is, this is very sensitive stuff. You know, we got we to gotta ease our way in. Um, but for me, I mean, I, I obviously am not just going to like unload everything right out the gate. But I'm definitely like, when it comes to my eating disorder, that is something that I now put up front. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, not saying that it's my identity by any means, but it is something that is like actively a part of my life. So I'm like, you know what, let's just, let's not waste anybody's time here. And let's just put that out there. So mm-hmm. I'm all for the transparency. Yeah, good for you. And I can see that coming up early on in a dating situation. Like when somebody picks the first restaurant that you're supposed to go to together. Yeah. And what do you do in that case? That actually, uh, funny enough, I, that actually happened to me the other day. Um, someone had asked me out on a date and they wanted, they said, would you like to, because now that places are starting to open up in Denver, they said, do you want to go out to dinner or do you want to go to the park? And I automatically chose the park. I was like, mm-hmm. let's just veer away from that a little bit. <laughs> Did they specify which restaurant? No, they didn't. Mm-hmm. And, in, and then you chose the park because you can bring your own food or? Yeah, he basically was like, you know, like, let's do a picnic and, you know, ask me. If... <laughs> this was like a weird thing to navigate. Uh, but he, you know, he asked me if I had any dietary restrictions. And I just responded with, nope, I'm not picky. Like, I don't know what he say. Like, it's, I'm not going res- to explain this to you over a text message. But, mm-hmm. um, but it allows me to be able to bring what I want to bring or what I need to bring for myself. So. Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and let's give <clears throat> whoever's listening a little bit more of a background because you are um, a warrior for your cause and it's a big part of your life. So let's talk a little bit more about how you discovered your eating disorder and what what you've been living and experiencing ever since yeah absolutely um so i i've had eating disorder behaviors since i was probably about like 15 take um and they didn't really start to become more transparent to me until these last two years um and through traveling which was like a mega that was like a big catalyst for it um I was, you know, we're in South America, me and my partner, and we're, we're hiking all the time. We're literally carrying our lives on our back. Like, you know, next thing I know, I'm, I'm in really great shape, (laughs) you know, Um, and none of my clothes fit me. Mm -hmm. And as I was starting to share some photos with my family and friends on social media, I was getting a lot of feedback of like, oh, wow, you look amazing. You know, you look great. You're so fit. You're so whatever. Um, And it also happened because I, um, I don't know if it was like the food or the, I didn't clean the plate enough or whatever, um, but I got really sick. 
So for two weeks, I couldn't eat anything but like raw potatoes. Um, and so that then kicked it into full force. And then next thing I know, I'm like literally making new notches in my belt. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, this isn't going to fly. Um, and when I finally came back, there was something in me that started to feel really tired. Um, cause I also do have uh, depression and right before COVID happened, there was, they were reassessing me for bipolar as well. Um, so I, I started to feel really tired and I was, there was something in me being like, you got to go home. Like you, you got to, you got to stop this. And he was not thrilled with the idea by any means. Um, he actually didn't come back with me. He went back to Massachusetts and then I went back down to Florida. When I went, I think the depression also kind of kicked into higher gear because something that people don't talk about when you do all of these amazing adventures, backpacking and whatever is like the transition back home. Mm -hmm. It's like reverse culture shock almost. Mm -hmm. I think someone said to me it was re patriotizing essentially. And that was just like, I felt like I couldn't communicate with people. And every time they communicated with me, it was always about the way I looked. It wasn't about anything else. It was about what they saw. And um, my really good friend, I, I went and saw her and she looked at me and she said that I looked emaciated and that she was scared. And that was like the moment where I was like, no, I'm totally fine. This is totally normal. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I had a chance to kind of like look at myself in the mirror and um, as time went on and we settled down in Denver, I, I didn't do anything about it. I was just like, this is, this is who I am. This is the way I, I look now. It seemed normal for what it was. Um, and then yeah, it was like maybe a month or two into Denver. I finally just had a moment where like I, I don't know what it was exactly, but like I, I, I had like an itch on my leg and I was like, that doesn't feel right. And so I looked at myself in the mirror and it was the first time that I actually saw myself for what it really was, uh, for what I really am. And so at that point, that's when I, I told my, my boyfriend, I said, I need help you know, I need to, I need to get that help. Um, so I started doing therapy and doing group therapy, which was really helpful. Um, but it also put a lot of strain on our relationship as well. So going from like 24 seven attached to each other because of the traveling led to some significant codependent issues, mm. which only got translated when we came and uh, stationed ourselves in Denver. So I, because of my disorders, I was isolating. I didn't want to have conversations with people about it. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want people knowing. So um, I leaned on him more than I should have. I did have, you know, like a team of people, but it was definitely more uh, than what one person should be able to handle. Mm -hmm. um, so it just inevitably did not pan out. I think how it ended could have ended differently given the circumstance, but, um, but yeah, so I've been, I've been in recovery now since about 2018 working my way up. So mm -hmm. congratulations. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. 
and thank you very much for sharing. Uh, coming from my perspective, I'm hearing a lot of things of like calorie restriction and losing a lot of weight quickly. And there's a couple different types of eating disorders. And if we could just briefly cover them, um, anorexia, bulimia, orthorexia, which is a little less known where we're excessively exercising Mm-hmm. to balance out our calorie intake. So me as a strength coach for the past nine years, I immediately go into like calorie deficit, calorie balance, calorie excess, and and this is my coaching. But what we're not here to do is to fix anything at all. We're just here to learn more about your story and to um, learn from other people and to share that message with more people who might be going through the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's probably, I mean, I know that there are more, but there's two others that I think should also be acknowledged. And one of them is, they're both something that I have. And one of them is uh, binge eating as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really just essentially, I fill my void, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. there's a void of an underlying issue and I use food uh, in opposite. So it's something hand in hand, but uh, as well as body dysmorphia. And that's something as well where for a long time, and even still to this day, I have it, but I have to kind of talk myself through it, which is essentially I look at myself in the mirror or I see something about my body that other people don't see. We see it completely differently. Something in the brain, I don't know about it enough, but it distorts how I perceive myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. I I think that if people aren't understanding what you're saying, they could turn to their own self-image okay, what is it that I view about myself? You know, being an athlete, being a strength coach, being a jujitsu athlete, I don't know if I step on the scale as often as like a, a lot of people out there. It's just not my body weight. But the way that I perform on the mat or the way that I perform in the weight room, I know where my nutrition is at based on my physical results. Mm-hmm. But I also am like, oh, okay, I look at that part of my body and I'm like, okay, I can do something about that. So that's self-image in a nutshell from my perspective. Yeah, definitely. And um, in terms of a scale, I had to get rid of mine a long time ago. Like that was something that like from the get-go, they were like, can't have this. And I was like, but it's at the gym. It's everywhere. Like I Mm -hmm. can have access to it. Um, And it was just like a lot of management on my part of like, that's not something that I can do. And, um, and, And same things with like, the, I love my friends so much. I say this, I preface this, um, but there is also a lot of like lack of education on it as well. And that's been something that's been really tricky with a lot of the relationships I have in my life. Um, one of my friends and she means well, I know she means well. Um, she kept saying, well, what about like counting macros and things like that. I don't know the first thing about it. And I'm like, that's actually the opposite mm-hmm. <laughs> of what you need to do. You need to steer away from the numbers mm-hmm. and, and, and not focus so much on that. There is also like that fine balance of like being like, am I getting enough today? Am I making sure that I am like actively? And I mean, that's what a nutritionist is for to be able to help you manage that. So and also that team that works with you too, of like, you mentioned a couple of things that I hear, uh, filling the void and isolation, uh, where a lot of us are going through an isolation period right now. And, and I choose to have the mindset of solitude instead of isolation, but yours was more of like a choice of, I don't want others to see me like this, or I don't want to 
identify or be identified in a certain way. I hid a lot for sure. And I think it was for a mixture of reasons, but the most prevalent one is that the the two main things I think is that one, I didn't, I didn't want to be perceived as, oh, she's sick. She has a problem. Now she's classified and is labeled. This is who she is now. I didn't want that. I wanted to be treated normally. And at the other front, it's also really hard. Like when you see people out having dinner or having drinks or having a picnic at the park or whatever, and you want to participate in that and you want to just feel like you're, I hate using the word normal, but normal to whatever extent. And I just couldn't do that. I wasn't there yet, you know? So instead I just kind of hid to myself because I, I didn't want that. And I also didn't want to feel like I was burdening anybody. You know, there's enough going on in this world. There's enough going on with other people's problems that I didn't want to just always be the person that's calling to be like, Oh, listen to me, sulk and everything sucks. And like, I didn't, I didn't want to just be that added weight. And yeah, so I just kind of withdrew for a while. So it was definitely something that I chose. Now it's not necessarily something that I'm choosing, but again, like you, I'm trying to view it as solitude and not isolation. Yeah. I hear a lot of growth in that statement and I I resonate a lot with burden and worthiness of like, I had to understand that my personal message has value And I learned that uh, um, probably a little bit longer than two and a half years ago of reading a book. And it literally said, your message has value in the book. And I'm like, okay, well, I connect the dots there. And I was like, okay, my, my message is this, to share the benefits of fitness and nutrition for mental health. And I've always used nutrition and my fitness routine to balance out my anxiety and depression. And so reminding myself that I can share this message, I can share this story of my life and others will find a lot of value in it. But I, I always have to continue to just continue, like keep living my life one step at a time. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And like, there was a point where how this all kind of transpired into, I think the, the really big turning point for me in my recovery was like my ex at the time, he, he like came into a little bit of money and he said, well, you know, my, my parents said I can only use it to, to, to travel because they saw how happy it made me. I was like, well, that's a weird ultimatum, but sure. Um, so he booked a ticket to go to Guatemala and I was like, okay, cool, go explore. And like, I'll see you at Thanksgiving a few weeks later. Um, And he never came back. It almost like solidified all of that self-deprecation and the negative narrative I was telling myself for so long. I think even when I was writing the other day, I equated it to being like leaving a water bottle on top of your car and then driving away, you know, and just forgetting it's there. And I just, it really, it, it sucked. And, you know, and, and so I went through a definite bout of depression after that because I was just feeling a lot of that, like, lack of self-worth. But eventually, like, I moved out of that place that I kept returning to that reminded me of what was going on and that kept reiterating those negative thoughts. And I moved into this new place in Cap Hill. I started fresh and I was like, you know what? Like, I feel good. I feel ready. And... I want to 
I just want to be transparent, not only like with everyone else, but with myself. And that has been one of the most therapeutic things for me. I tell you like to talk about self-love and self-worth and validating yourself over anything else, man, does it feel really good. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? And so you went from feeling like the water bottle that was left on the top of the car and somebody else drove away, just leaving you behind as an afterthought all the way to this point of like starting fresh, a clean slate, new neighborhood, um, new experience that you're bringing into the story that you're going to tell yourself. Yeah, essentially. That's exactly Mm -hmm. what I did is like, you know, I think I thought for the longest time that, that I couldn't rewrite the narrative, that I couldn't change what that looked like. And that's so not true. You know, it's so not true. I have an opportunity every single day to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every single minute I have the chance to do that. So I just hit the pen to the paper and I just wrote a whole new book, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Starting clean. And what I heard uh, when that weight lifted off of your shoulders, it almost sounded as if you chose to be your authentic self from there on out. And that's what released all of that negative energy and the weight on your shoulders that you were carrying for so long. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, what it felt like was that I was wearing 25 different masks, you know, Um, whatever version of myself I needed to be in that moment. And I was just so tired of it. Mm -hmm. I was so tired of playing pretend because it's like, okay, when I'm with myself, I am me wholeheartedly you know, the good and the bad. I live with this every single day. Um, But to the outside world, it's whoever I'm trying to please. And once I started to connect all of those dots, I was like, I don't want to please anybody but myself. And if that's not good enough to please somebody, then why would I need to care about what they have to say or think about me? Why would I even need or want them in my life? It just, it changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. It really did. Mm-hmm. The people who matter won't mind and the people who mind don't matter. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Perfect. You and I met on Instagram and yeah. I slid up into your DMs and I asked if we could do this interview. And while I was there, I noticed this picture the other day of you. <laughs> um, people can't see necessarily on yes. on the audio, but I just pushed my finger up my nose because that's one of the most recent pictures I saw of you on Instagram. Yeah, And it gave me a good chuckle. <laughs> but another unique talent of yours besides showing your authentic self on Instagram is you're a guitarist and a, and a singer. And I want to take a quick break from this audio and actually plug in one of your songs that you have on Instagram. Is that okay? Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. All right, guys, tune into this song. Uh, Lauren, tell us uh, the title of the song and a little bit of a background behind why you wrote it. You know what's so funny is I don't even really have a title for it. Uh, what did I even call it? We, I think, I think it has a lot to do with You Are Not Alone. Yes. Okay, that's what I tell you. I was like, what did I even title it? <laughs> I keep thinking, I, when I write songs, I never title them. I just pick a line and call it a day. But, uh, but yeah, so I wrote the song... It was like shortly after everything kind of really went into full force with quarantine and coronavirus. And sometimes, all the time, the best way that I can express myself is through words or through music. So I wrote a song that I thought 
was relevant that we're all in this together. We don't have to do it alone, regardless of what that looks like. Uh, I feel the same way and we're going to play it now. So enjoy guys. And we'll come back after the song and we'll catch up with Lauren about a couple of ideas that I have for her. Thank you very much, Lauren, for letting me play that song. I know that that's a big request, so thank you. How, how do you feel after hearing that? Oh man, uh, no, I'm I'm thrilled. Honestly, I'm like I'm I'm so thrilled because it's. I mean, I, I shared it with just the intent of like, oh, you know, my friends and family will see it on social media. But the fact that it and I got a lot of really great feedback from it, which is awesome. Um, but I think it's also just like a very unifying thing to know that other people get to hear it and that other people will get a chance to, I don't know, hopefully not feel so alone through all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a beautiful song in it. And it touched my heart when I heard it. And thank you again for letting me share it here on the podcast. Who knew that when you share these things on, on Instagram, some random guy is going to slide into your DMS and say, Hey, let's become friends. <laughs> Like, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? Uh, <laughs> sure. That's pretty much how it went. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I want to come back to um, another topic of conversation that, like, 
um, I hear the words of like pleasing others and going into hiding and that I'm a big fan of the Enneagram and we talked about it a little bit and you're the helper, right? Yeah, I'm the helper. Yep. And the helper has this tendency of putting others first and putting them, their self-care on the back burner. What did you initially think when you read through the link I sent you? I said, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Sounds about right. Um, no, I mean, that was like, nailed it on the head. Like that was, that's, that's been me. Oh my gosh. First ever, <laughs> forever. And I mean, I think to some extent, I'm obviously still that way. Um, but I'm, but I think because I'm more aware of it, I am more intentional with how I react or how I handle such situations. So I can completely relate to that. And why I bring it up now is because you were talking about this authenticity of like the weight being pulled off of your shoulders when you removed the mask and the Enneagram for me over the course of three years that I've used it as a tool for personal growth is it shows me how and what that mask is that I need to remove in order to be my most authentic self. Do you mean like you're saying that the helper per are you saying like the helper is the mask? Um, that's what the, let's say, um, the middle of the road health. Um, there's like nine levels of health for each Enneagram personality type. And the middle of the road, like four, five, and six on that ladder are the masks that we wear. That's when we're at our average level of health. But as we start to integrate into who we are and who we're meant to be through this tool, we start to see ourselves climb up into like the one, two, three level of the ladder. And that's when the mask starts to come off. And for you, you go into a more of like a unique, um, I want to be unique in this world. And that's what I hear in your music. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's not even a matter, I think, of being unique. I think it's a matter of just being me and being authentic. I think mm -hmm. that's really what it comes down to. I mean, even, excuse me, even with the song, you know, um, I mean, putting something you write out there is one of the most vulnerable things in the entire world because it could go poorly. Um, but it's something that you wrote, something that came from your heart, from who you are as a person. And that was just me trying to, I guess, remove the mask and just, again, be myself whatever that looks like. I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> it's going to take us a lifetime. And Esther Perel, are you familiar with her? I'm not, no. So she's an author and a researcher and a doctor, right? Um, and she says that when you marry somebody, we'll just use that as an example. When you marry somebody, be prepared to marry them seven or eight more times because that's how many times that they're going to change over the course of their lifetime together. Yes, I have. I have heard of this before, for sure. But it's so true. It's so true. And I think that that's so important because like, you know, this person I was with, for instance, like, oh, gosh, well, I, I thought this was going to be my forever person, you know, and I thought that through the waves of becoming, I still had so much more growing to do. I still have so much more growing to do. And I thought that through those waves of becoming this new version of myself that, you know, that's part of the long-term relationship process, remarrying somebody, you know, whatever version of them they become. Mm -hmm. 
I, I got a really cool definition and I can relate to that a lot. Uh, I got a cool definition of love from another podcast guest and it said, love is deeply investing in yours or someone else's spiritual growth. That is so true. That is so true. If we just adhere to that new mindset, this new definition of love, then we can accept and be willing to go along with change. And you think it sounds so simple, right? <laughs> Just because it sounds simple doesn't mean it's going to be easy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think that that a lot of people, and even myself, I don't, you know, looking back, I'm like, I clearly wasn't ready for that road. I wasn't ready for that kind of love yet, you know? Um, is, is that on you or is that on your partnership? Because it takes two people. No, I agree. And I think it was, I think it was both, you know, um, unfortunately he, uh, he was in, I want to say it was maybe like when we met, he was only six months clean. Um, he was, yeah. So he was an addict, uh, with opioids. And then upon returning back, the reason why he actually, when we went to different parts of the country, when he told me what his reason was, I only found out it was a lie, but because manipulation was a huge part, it always came back around to being like, things were my fault. Only reiterating the eating disorder behaviors and the eating disorder thoughts and depression and things like that. So, I mean, it totally is a two-way street. It totally is this, this dance that, you know, and if you're not if you're not, if one person's dancing a waltz and the other one's doing the foxtrot, you know, it's kind of similar, but like, it's not. <laughs> yeah, you might be on two different pages there. And yeah. I don't want to discount us taking personal ownership over that. And we're going to get to that here in a second. But sure. I also understand that in a codependent relationship, we tend to uh, take on ownership of the other person's responsibility. And I've seen that for me personally, and it was a hard thing for me to face of where I took on too much ownership. Okay, well, I'm going through this thread of, of talking to more people about relationships and like, okay, when is it an appropriate time to um, get into the next relationship? Well, it's different timeline for everybody. However, when we jump from one to the next, to the next, to the next, we don't have the comprehension, the time to comprehend what's our ownership and what it is that we won't stand for in the future. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I needed to take quite a bit of time to, uh, to really reflect and say, okay, what did I do that I don't wanna repeat? What pieces of myself were not the best parts of me? You know, and, and, and how could I have changed that? How could I have handled that differently? Like I definitely, um, because I did, I, I think I jumped too quickly into the next relationship after that. I think I should have definitely taken more time because uh, it is, it, there was no, there was really no true time to reflect. And now that I'm in this space with myself, like, you know, I'm, I've written apology letters to the person that hurt me most because I, I do, I take ownership for the things that I did. There's no reason that when someone has a mental illness, you know, to simply just put all of that pressure to be like, you handle this, but also be okay. 
like be okay enough to handle this. That's not fair, you know? Mm. And, and I, I take full responsibility of that because that's not, that's not on that person. Um, so yeah, definitely a two way street for sure. Mm-hmm. Man, that resonates with me so much. <laughs> it's like, uh, the reason why I brought up Esther Perel later on in the episode is because of what you said earlier is you are, or you were, excuse me, you were putting a lot of pressure on your partner at the time. And I can understand that pressure. Um, Esther Perel says that we can't be everything to everyone, the confidant, the best friend, the lover, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, we can't be their therapist. We're not meant to be all of those things to one person. And it's unfair to think so. No, it really is. It really is. There's a, oh, I'm going to mess up her name. I just remember how she puts herself on Instagram. I think it's Nora Borealis. Um, in her book is something like a, it's okay to cry or it's, it's okay to cry something. I don't know. I'll have to look up the title to let you know, but essentially she has a whole chapter and it's called, where did my best friend go? And talking about how, like, even in her marriage, like he was not her best friend because she's had a best friend for years of her life. She didn't just disappear and vanish. Like there needs to be that separation. And I didn't have that because I isolated myself so much. Like I didn't, I weeded so many people out of my life that I didn't necessarily need to weed out, you know, that I shouldn't have weeded out. So I, you know, I learned a lot from that. I'm rebuilding what my community looks like and what my circle looks like. And it's small and I like it that way. (laughs) Me too. I have a very, very small circle of influence. And once you come in, you're in for life until there's betrayal and then you're bounced like super quick. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So uh, what I hear in there is like, where did my best friend go? Well, part of self-abandonment in a relationship, in a new relationship, you get into something you're super excited for and you start to see your friends less often. And that's one of the telltale signs that we can look and into our relationship and say to ourselves, I haven't seen my best friend in two months. That's an effort that I can put into my relationship moving forward to keep my sovereignty or to continue to be myself while in a partnership so that we don't overlap too much oh, in yeah. codependency. Yeah. Oh man, can I relate to that? I've got <laughs> I've got my these two girls that have been there since high school, you know. Um matching matching tattoos and all. Um but you know, they were they were giving me the hey, this is these are red flags everywhere, you know, and you're not you're not listening to us. And, you know, my lack of self-worth was saying, nope, sorry, can't hear you. He loves me. Everything's amazing. Like, um, and so it, it, it did, it, it tore away those friendships um, for a long time. And I'm still working to rebuild those. And I, I think we're slowly getting to a better place. Um, and, you know, and then I moved to Denver, right? And so I didn't know anybody. I knew no one. Um, so it was just him and I, he had a friend from college with his girlfriend who introduced us to a few people. And so what I thought was totally normal, I was like, oh, well, it doesn't matter because I don't have any friends here. Well, it's actually like, there is 
FaceTime and talking and texting and whatever. Like there are these things that I was still like removing the communication out for sure. You know, and I think it was a mix, a mix between the eating disorder and the depression and the relationship and all of these other factors for sure. Yeah. What, at what point did you come to that realization and what are you telling yourself to rewrite the narrative moving forward? The realization that I was weeding people out or that it really was just the two of you. <laughs> um, honestly, yeah, there was, I, I, I remember the exact moment, honestly. Um, and it took a long time. It took a long time because in my head, I made it up. I was justifying everything. You know, I was, I had reasons behind everything that we were doing. Um, and I just remember sitting on the couch and I don't know how much is too much information. So I'm sitting on the couch, but, and like, and he saw my leg and like, I, I had a nervous habit that I, I've had for a long time, but I was always able to manage um, where, you know, I like I dig my nails into my skin, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm doing that and I'm like super uncomfortable. And he was just like, hands up. Like, I can't, you know, like this, this isn't okay. If this is what this is doing to you, like if this is, is this is how it's going down. Like, and I took a step back and I was like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, this is really happening. Like it really is just him and I, who can I call in this moment? Who can I call on that I haven't already pushed away because of everything, because of everything I was doing. And I know for a fact, if I picked up the phone, they would, and called, they would probably answer because they're amazing human beings. Um, but again, the narrative that I told myself and I think that was kind of the turning point for everything where I just said, I can't keep shutting people out. I can't keep just this wall built up around myself where the only accessible door is for him. Like that's, that's crazy town. Like that's not, that's not going to help me. That's not going to help anybody. Like, so yeah, that was definitely the moment for me for sure. I appreciate you sharing that story and it's not too much. It's not an overshare at all. And what I, what I really want to know is the, the narrative going forward is what are we, what are we saying to ourselves? Uh, because I know how hard vulnerability is. How do we, how do we move forward from here on out, letting people in? without being too transparent. Yeah, that balance, right? Yeah, I know we had, we had talked about that, that balance. Um, Did I tell you my clever saying that I learned since we talked last? No, that it's not. Balance is a clever word for control. <sighs> my biggest enemy. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> It comes in different faces. It really, mm -hmm. really does. Um, no, but I, I, I do, I do think that for me, I, 
I don't know. I don't feel like that there's, and, and this, again, this is for me. Like, I don't feel like for me that this is too much that what I say and what I put out there mm -hmm. as my honest, true, transparent self is too much because I know it's good for me. I know it's right for me. I didn't put my story out there, you know, for one specific person in general, you know, yes, I want to help destigmatize. I want to, I want to help have that conversation and educate people on what it really is. Um, show people that they're not alone, but I also did it for me because again, I just don't want to walk around with the burden on my shoulder anymore. So the narrative moving forward is one of self-love and, and just, I do this practice that my therapist has me do. And it's anytime I start having one of those negative thoughts or the, um, you know, she just says, okay, close your eyes, you know, put your hands on whatever is around you. It's the table, my, my lap, the chair. And she's like, and just say out loud, whatever it is that you're feeling, like, like truly feeling, whether it's like the suede on the chair or the cold uh, gloss on the table. And it brings me back down to a moment where I'm like, okay, I'm here, I'm good, and I'm okay. Like, and I say, okay. Awesome. So now how can I learn from that? Whatever that feeling was I was having before, now that I'm calm from that, how can I reword that? I was saying, just for example, I, you know, I'm worthless. Okay. Well, in the situation, how can we reword this now that you're thinking clearer, you know, and it's just about reframing and rewiring. And, and I, again, for me, I don't believe that me being transparent is ever going to be too much. And if it is for other people, do they matter? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, it's a good saying to remember of that those who matter won't mind. Yeah. And I know that, I know that your message has value and I have to say thank you again for sharing your message with us today. And if somebody wants to get a hold of you because that message resonates with them, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, yeah. So you can either visit my website, laurendow.com or follow me on Instagram at laurendowwrites. That would be the best way. Thank you very much. I'll be sure to put those in the show notes below. And if there's one thing that you want to leave us with today, what would that be? Vulnerability is scary. <laughs> um, and as Brene Brown says it so perfectly, stepping into the wilderness is, while it might be scary, it's also incredibly liberating. And I try to live by that now. Um, and I also, I guess I also just want to say that if, if you are someone that has an eating disorder, um, you are not alone. Like there are so many people out there and there are communities and there are Facebook groups, even in this time of quarantine, there are so many virtual group therapies out there. Um, therapists will still take you. It might be tricky, but like, just keep working for it. I know it's hard. Um, and if you are someone who has a family member or a loved one that 
has an eating disorder, I strongly, strongly encourage you to educate yourself because there's so much more that goes into it. There's so much more that goes into it. And I think it's just so important that you just take a little bit of time to, to read, to watch YouTube videos, to talk to someone. They also have family and friends groups for those um, that have eating disorders. So just educate yourself because it will help in the long run. I promise. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And uh, thank you again for sharing your powerful message. Thank you so much for having me. This was, this was such a blast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. What do you say in like the next six to 12 months we catch up? Uh, we meet in each other in, the, in person in Capitol Hill or, yeah. no, <laughs> or we, just che- great. <laughs> we just check in and we see how each other is doing. I think that would be awesome. I'd love that. Okay. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much. Huge thanks to Lauren Dow for coming on the podcast today and sharing that amazing song with us. Please connect with her on Instagram if her message resonates with you today. And if you get a chance, share this episode with one person that you know would benefit from hearing Lauren's message. And we've got a big request for you today. Head on over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star rating and write a review. That really helps us get feedback from you guys as well as share the message of the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast with more people. If you're looking for additional workouts that you can do anywhere, anytime, head on over to fitlifechampions.com and give their Bodyweight Warrior program a shot today.